This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we are speaking to Ariana Vestino of LaFash and Connie DeMaio of Redding Goat about being entrepreneurs and how they started their businesses. Redding Goat co-founder Connie DeMaio is a lifelong equestrian and a professional rider and trainer. She first conceptualized the quintessential equestrian coverall while enduring long, cold days of training at the barn where she worked and while taking students to compete at shows. Connie needed a garment that would keep her warm and clean while spending hours outside in winter, but could easily be shed when she needed to get on a horse and ride. She needed a coverall, but a coverall that could perform for her specific requirements and look good at the same time. She began Redding Oat, which produces innovative pieces for the equestrian performance apparel space. Redding Oat's fashionable and feminine pieces are all about function, comfort, and easy outfitting. The premium quality and design offer riders unlimited functionality in all settings, from long barn days to elite horse shows. LaFash founder Ariana Vestino was raised in rural New Jersey, where she fell in love with horses and equestrian sport at the tender age of three. After training and competing as a hunter-jumper rider, Ariana discovered her affinity for style and design and entered the fashion industry at 15. After continuing to advance her skills through education from the world's best design schools, such as Pratt Institute and Instituto Maragoni in Milan... She went on to earn positions that have connected her with some of the industry's top companies, such as Bergdorf Goodman and Harper's Bazaar. In 2011, after 10 years of research and development, LaFash was born. For Ariana, creating clothing for LaFash is an intimate process. In 2016, LaFash launched their first sport tech shirting collection, the Palo Alto Collection geared towards the athletic needs of riders in warmer climates. This collection also appeals to other athletes wishing to look polished and stay comfortable, especially in sports like tennis and golf. Ariana chooses to manufacture all of Fash products proudly in the USA in the New York Garment District. The Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular is the first ever horse show created by women, operated by women, benefiting women's health, and showcasing women in business. This one-of-a-kind, extraordinary event is one you will not want to miss and is open to all competitors, both men and women, in the equestrian community. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular Horse Show is a USEF A-rated jumper three-star competition from July 13th through 17th, 2022 in Stillwater, New York. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular will partner and collaborate with equestrian businesswomen on this initiative. Exhibitors and attendees will be offered educational opportunities throughout the show and beyond to meet, interact, listen, and learn from a variety of remarkable women willing to share information about their careers and the paths they chose. For information on how to support Saratoga WIB Spectacular, visit www.saratogahorseshows.com. 
Hi, we're so excited um, to talk to Ariana and Connie today uh, about entrepreneurship and the story of how they started their business. Thank you guys for joining us. We wanted to kind of explore how different people start their business, you know, where you get ideas from, where you get the motivation, the ambition, and things like how do you find money to start a business and and fund your dream? Or what do you start with one product and build from there? Or do you start with a whole line of products? Lots of different questions. So Connor will kind of get us started. Yeah. So let's start with Ariana. And if you could tell us what inspired you to start your business. Sure. So I was working in the fashion industry for about 15 years before I launched my business. I also have been a writer my entire life. So working in the high-end fashion industry, I would always see this uh, equestrian theme. And there were so many like beautiful designers that ins- that were creating looks inspired by equestrian fashion. But at that time, I felt we as riders just had nothing cool to wear. <laughs> it was like my personal <laughs> style going to work. And then like what I wore to horse show or what I wore to ride, I'm like, what is this? So it was like boxy and uncomfortable. I'm like, this is not cool at all. So I'm like, we have to create something cool. And I took it one step further and I wanted to create something not only cool for riders that could like move with you, but perform with you. But also that would appeal to those ladies that were like buying Ralph Lauren, buying Gucci, buying Hermes that liked equestrian style. So I kind of was inspired just because I felt there was a void in the market. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I actually, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was saying how I could live, if I could live in gym clothes half the day and riding clothes the other half a day, I would be so happy because I love my riding clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so comfortable. Fun. It's yeah. so important. I think nowadays, because like women, especially like wear so many hats throughout the day. So it's like, mm-hmm. even if you're working from home, you're on a work call, you need to look a little bit polished, at least from here, you know, down. <laughs> and then you're running to the barn or you're running to the gym and you're running to do errands. And you want to kind of have one thing that you could wear throughout the whole day that will work for everything. Right. And it's so hard to find something like that. So I always felt the way that I wanted to dress was instead of just buying something that you can only wear for one day or one thing, buying something that you can wear multi days or multi avenues of the day. So I think Mm -hmm. I personally like to shop like that. Um, I think it's obviously much more cost effective, but you know, investing in great pieces that you can wear in many ways and, and wear many hats like you do. Yeah. 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 This morning I went from CrossFit to the barn to hold the horse for the farrier to a work training right before this. And now I'm doing this. Yeah. 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 You didn't change four times. You you can't, you don't have time. No. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really important to shop like that. And for me as a designer to design clothes like that for women like myself that just do a lot. Yeah. 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 That price per wear thing is really important to me. Like if I'm not going to actually use it and wear it multiple times and, and get use out of it for the price that it costs, like it's totally not worth it for it me. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Or even just buying something that's less expensive. Cause you're like, well, it's only $25 for this shirt. So I'm going to buy it cause I can just wear it here and who cares if it falls apart. But you do that 20 times, you know, you just yeah. versus buying something that maybe is, $200 and it will last a lifetime and you can wear it everywhere. You know, it makes sense when you kind of look at it in that perspective. Yeah. yeah. In the long term. Yeah. Sure. Definitely. And Connie, what inspired you to start your business? 
actually, this whole conversation is what inspired me to start my business. So <laughs> we created a coverall for women and for riders, and we created it just for this to cover up those fancy riding clothes or those expensive gym clothes or be able to go muck out your stalls in the morning, feed your horses, covering up your work clothes, and then go grocery shopping or go to the gym or, you know, keep your britches and long sleeves on top and then do all these things, then go ride your horse without destroying these expensive, fancy riding clothes that we love to spend our, all of our money on. So <laughs> I really never thought I would have an equestrian clothing line. I been riding horses since I was a baby. My dad was a trainer and living on a farm and working horses was just second nature to me. And it was just more a lifestyle and not a hobby. And um, I was teaching when I was in my young 20s, which we all tend to do in this industry, especially being brought up in it. And I always had a, this old coverall because I wanted to protect my riding clothes and I wanted to be able to keep clean and look professional while teaching these lessons in a cold indoor or outside in bad weather. So I'd always have this old clunky coverall that I literally picked up at a yard sale for $2 and I wore it everywhere and I wore it every single winter. And it was just so much easier than wearing multiple layers on top underneath my britches. I'd have to wear under like, you know, a pair of leggings and then I'd have to wear my britches and then I'd have to wear, you know, an Under Armour top, then my nice top, then a vest and a jacket. So it was just so much easier to wear a coverall. And I was literally standing in an indoor one day, working, teaching lessons, wearing my coverall. And someone came up to me, as they have many, many times, and said, hey, where do I get one of those? And I said, oh, I picked this up at a yard sale. I went home to my fiancé at the time, who's now my husband. And I said, I think I have this idea. And I, um, I talked to him about it. And he's like, that's a great idea. And I was teaching my business partner, Allison, at the time, and she's from the fashion industry. And I was telling her this idea. And we went to dinner one night, and we created Red and Goat. And that's how we started our business. I really never thought I'd be own a equestrian clothing line at all, but it was just something that I had an idea and we set our minds to it and we ended up doing it. Oh, that's really cool. And so what, I mean, it sounds like it's pretty unique what you do with the, the cover up. Um, yeah. Would you say that's the most unique part of? I think so. I think we don't see this in our industry at all. Um, I don't think that it was available for equestrians or women riders or women in general to have a woman's coverall. So I think that's what makes us so unique and different from all the other fashion companies out there or fashion brands in this in this sport. So that's what what our main focus is. That's what we do. We're an equestrian outdoor company. Okay. And Ariana, how about you? What's unique about your business? Well, like I had said before, I wanted to create a line that not only appealed to riders and obviously was super functional and aesthetically pleasing, but, you know, for riding in the saddle, but also something that would appeal to people that liked equestrian style. So I think I was one of the people that helped to pioneer that stable to streetwear, stable to city movement. Um, I, that's think you were, I remember meeting you at the Hampton Classic one time. And when we first launched, I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I remember <laughs> you the first time I actually saw that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense, right? Because like for years, like equestrian fashion is so prevalent in the fashion industry. I mean, every fall, every magazine, it's all about equestrian style, like the beautiful tweeds and the plaids and it's always there. So it didn't make sense to me. Like, why are we creating something just for riders? Like why mm -hmm. is it that we cannot create something that will also appeal to those that like, like equestrian style. So I have like a lot of women that shop my brand that are not riders. 
years. And now my mm. kind of more technical line of shirting um, appeals to people that like golf and tennis because mm. it does the same thing. It's polished, it performs, it has technical performance. So going back to what I was saying before about shopping for items that you can wear in multifacets of your life because women these days just wear so many hats. You know, I think that that's different about my business. And, um, you know, recently I launched an equestrian lifestyle boutique. So I carry a variety of other products besides riding clothes, but everything is kind of geared towards beautiful, great, uplifting basics, things that you can have great sweaters, great belts, and not just people that ride come in. There's a lot of women that love that style that are like, oh, this is a beautiful belt, great quality and things like that. So I think Mm -hmm. my, not only my line, but also my store is like a little different because it's a boutique that sells ready to wear. It doesn't just sell riding clothes intact. It kind of just sells, I call it equestrian lifestyle, you know, Mm -hmm. inspired lifestyle pieces. Cool. And, um, Ariana, what would you say is the hardest decision you had to make when you were starting your business? Probably like actually leaving my full-time job and just saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. I had been preparing kind of to launch the brand for about 10 years. Like I, you know, when I was sourcing, you know, fabrics and trims for other projects I was working on as a designer, or when I was, you know, styling photo shoots for major magazines, I would always like snap pictures or buy clothing that I would see that had like a great design detail or something that'd be like, oh, this would be great. Or you can do this theme, or this would be great for a riding pant. I kind of was preparing this like major book of things that I could kind of always go back to when I actually was getting ready to design the collection. And then I sat down and I wrote like a 25 page business plan. And I did that like after hours after my job. And I kind of just created this map for myself. I don't think anyone's actually ever read it, but myself, but I created this map. Like what are the barriers to entry? Where am I going to sell it? Where am I going to make it? And I created this whole plan. So by the time that I was ready to actually pull the trigger and leave my job, everything was kind of already in place. And it was just actually creating the samples. And then six months later I launched. So I think it was actually just saying, you know what, this is what I want to do. And it's now or never. And it came kind of yeah. a crossroads in my career where I had been recruited. Um, I worked for Bergdorf Goodman as a stylist full time for them. And then um, I was recruited by theory, which is, you know, when I was managing basically um, all the styling and visual merchandising for all their stores on the East coast. And it was like a dream job. I always wanted to work for that company and the money was great. And I got there and it was like, I guess I just have to put LaFash on hold. Like this is a great opportunity. And, um, I was there four months and I hated it. Like I absolutely hated it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, you know what? And again, I was my boyfriend at the time we were living together. He's now my husband. And he just says, you know what? Just do it. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, just do it. And it was scary. Mm-hmm. I did it. And I launched six months later. Yeah. It is scary to leave, you know, something that's established and a steady income and sure. be able to take that yeah. leap and say, I'm going to go for it. And, and put all of my effort into this one idea. Cause it's not really anything yet. Like you yeah. said, it was a plan on paper. <laughs> yeah, it was a plan on paper and it, you just have yeah. to, kinda, you know, if you have something like that and you just have to kind of just believe in yourself and just like push through and just like never give up and just continue just to push, push, push. And there's so many barriers. There's so many things. And just when you think everything's like smooth sailing, the next day a bomb drops and it's like, it happens (laughs) over and over and over again. And you just have to be like, you know what, I'm just going to continue pushing as much as I can to try to stay relevant and reinvent myself and try to, you know, continue to push forward. And, And I think that that's like the 
best advice I could give to anyone that's looking to start mm-hmm. this really hard. Yeah. <laughs> really hard. And Connie, um, was it a similar situation for you? Did you have to leave something to start it or did you start writing a, uh, I I think that I've always had like entrepreneurial spirit. My mom hustled hard when she was young and my dad, you know, we were all self-employed. So I think that was like sort of second nature. Like I've been working since I was 13 and I always tried to do 400 things to make money at the same time. So I think that's more like in ingrained in me. And so when I thought about writing goat, I was like, okay, well, how am I going to add another thing to, to my plate? And I was already pretty much self-employed by training horses and teaching lessons. And then I, I also started doing real estate when I was very young. So I um, had a couple of houses and rental income. So that sort of helped me. And I have a very, very supportive husband. <laughs> so um, I think, you know, Redding Goat is number one, like the prime focus, especially now because we have grown. But that first year, year or two, was a set, it was almost, it was first, but that wasn't my main source of income. So as the business grew, I sort of dropped off other things just to focus more on, on what we have now in store for us and, you know, in hand. But I, I do still make money other ways too. So I think yeah. that, um, you know, I, I think it's just, I never really had a nine to five. So it was sort of different for me, I think. But still scary, like still scary. Never thought it would. I, I mean, I I always wanted it to grow into a big business, and I was I'm extremely happy that it's like become what it's become. But it's hard work, and you know, it's focus. So, was there anything, Connie, that you had to do to prepare to launch the business? Yeah. So our product, our like prototypes and product development was in that phase for a year before we launched. And I actually feel like that was probably pretty quickly, but it was harder for us, I think, especially because we had no idea where to make things. Like we didn't know much about that at all. So just finding a manufacturer was hard for us. And it's honestly still hard for us. Like manufacturing, it's like some secret service, like where people get their stuff made, which I get, but, um, We've, we've sort of figured it out and we have a great manufacturer right now, which we're really happy with, but it took us a, you know, it took us a while to get there. And, um, you know, I was, I had no idea in the beginning, we literally would walk, we were, uh, Allison lives in Brooklyn and I'm in Jersey. So I would walk the fashion district of New York and like with my old coverall and be like, okay, this is what we want to do. And like, people are like, we don't do this. Like that's that the first like four or five months. Um, like, no, we don't, we don't do this. So a lot of like research and I, a friend of a friend finally told us about this one person and Allison knew somebody. So we tested the market there and we finally found our first, I guess, broker and then who had factory somewhere else. And that's how we figured it out. But we had no idea, no idea how any of it worked. And uh, it was just sort of testing it out. Uh, but yeah, yeah. it's fun. I would literally go out to the fashion district of New York and I'd be like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> outerwear. So, it took wow. us a long time, but we figured it out. I mean, yeah, it was, it was hard. We had really and, like, <laughs> yeah. And Ariana, um, besides your business plan, what else did you have to prepare to launch? Well, obviously the product and figuring out where I was going to make it, you know, like Connie Mm -hmm. was saying, that's like super hard part. I too had no experience in production at all. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was a designer and I was a stylist, so I know how to 
draw things on paper and how to sew it together. But I actually, you know, in terms of manufacturing, I did not. So I was living in New York City at the time. So I was able to kind of, again, go to the fashion district, which we still manufacture in right now. Um, and, you know, I just went to like, I just called around to a lot of people and I just went with my sample and tried to find, and I found like a great factory. Um, and they produced for me for the first seven years and they were just like fantastic and, and great to work with. And the quality was great. And, you know, but manufacturing is hard. I mean, you have to be on top of it all the time. You know, I run all the manufacturing, so I'm in the factories and making sure things are, you know, done. Um, I'm in Jersey now myself too. So I'm able to kind of get to the city. Uh, very frequently and, and to oversee everything. But, you know, it, it, that was probably setting that all up was the major, was the major problem for me. I didn't want to launch and then find something. So I kind of launched with samples and then I took orders. Like I did a huge party and I took orders and then the income from that kind of helped to get inventory for me. So I kind of did it like that, like everything was on a shoestring budget. So I was able to use the money from my initial party i think we sold like 35 or 40 shirts that thing that party and then i was able to kind of use some of that money towards inventory and it was like i remember like my first inventory bill i was like oh my god what am i doing this is not um but yeah as long as the quality is there you know you're gonna have a good product it's just when you know manufacturing goes askew that you're like but i was fortunate that i've always found great places that there haven't been too many fires i've been always able to find a workaround if something goes wrong but kind of getting product cracked and making sure it fit everybody making sure all the sizes fit everybody i mean that's like really really important so i gave you know i made samples in a variety of sizes we tested the sizes we tested you know we did the magnetic collar we were one of the first people that did that so testing to make sure that worked and i just gave the samples to like and i'm sure if i did this too a variety of different people trainers i'm just like just everything you don't like just tell me everything you don't like you know and i just wanted to know what people didn't like and then i changed that and i tweaked that and once we tweaked everything and it was perfect then we launched with the party so ariana most of your funding came from like pre-orders yeah i did pre-orders i mean that wasn't like a lot i mean it was some of the like it helped with some of the initial Uh inventory um it really was some of my own money which wasn't a lot because i was you know 27 years old so it wasn't like i had this like you know boatload of cash that was just like oh here you go you know um i had a friend that she loved the idea and she gave me $20,000 and she's just like here. She's still a silent partner for me. She owns, you know, 10% of my business and she is very happy with how it turned out. And I'm so thankful for her that she was able to kind of just, you know, give me some capital to start. I mean, it was not a lot, but that's the funding that I had for the first probably three years. I just, everything that I made, we just kind of rolled back into the business to grow as much as I can. And I just kept, you know, my own personal life on the skinny and I kept as much as I could on the skinny in terms of advertising and promoting and things like that. And it worked out really well. I started to go and pitch at like young entrepreneur conferences. I did fashion vest in the city where I was like in front of Damon John and kind of like a shark take type thing. And I got called in by like a lot of big private equity people and I pitched for them, but I just kind of was like, I'm going to have to give up so much. And I don't know if I want to give up my entire business right now. Um, yeah. Would it have maybe made me grow faster and bigger? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so I just chose to keep the business. I still own 90% of it and I just grew organically. So I think there's pluses and minuses to doing it both ways. And I just chose the latter. Yeah. I think what 
bringing in investors like that, it really depends on where you see yourself in the company. Like, do you need to have complete creative control and, and control over all the decision-making for the rest of that company's life? Or is it something that, you know, you're, you're good to give up and, Yeah, I think that's a very individual decision. Yeah, because it's your baby, right? It's your baby. Mm -hmm. It's everything that you made and you created and you wanted to stay. But, you know, there's something great about you if you own 10% of a billion dollar business. You still, you know what I mean? Versus (laughs) only 90% of not a billion dollar business. So it's like, (laughs) what is it? What is is better? So, you know, and not every business that gets major funding like that is a success. I mean, sometimes it blows up. So, it's a risk either way. I chose to grow it organically. Looking back, I think probably year five, maybe I should have taken on private equity money. Um, but I mean, I don't think, I think it would have helped to excel it because at year five is when all the knockoffs started and Connie, that is definitely coming. So, um, you know, that was a problem and looking already actually should have did that and it kind of could have blown it out of the water and and um, I didn't so I had a little problem year five <laughs> and I still kind of have problems but you know hindsight's twenty twenty you know <laughs> yeah. right yeah and Connie where did your funding come from good credit and a line of credit from my in laws <laughs> so having good credit um, from Allison and I. And then um, a line of credit, a small line of credit for my in-laws. And uh, mm-hmm. we needed a lot in the very beginning because we our minimums were so high um, because we're overseas. I don't know if it's different for, I mean, bridges and tops, but our minimums were extremely high. So it was like a big risk in the beginning. Um, but with that being said, like, I'm no risk, no reward, right? So we took out a, a pretty big minimum and that that year we sold out that first year and then we bought more inventory the next year and then the same problem we we've sold out again so like whatever we bought whatever we sold went right stri- straight back in inventory but bigger inventory uh in uh buys so this year it's been a little bit different and we you know the company made a little bit more money so we have we bought a lot of inventory again this year because we sold out everything so fast and uh have a little bit of money left over. So we finally just paid, we finally this year just paid back our loan that we took and all of our credit cards. <laughs> yeah. I bet that felt so good. Didn't yeah. It? Yeah. So that was really good. And like the thing with us too, we were, it was really important for us to grow organically. Like, you know, we never, like a lot of our sales came from, you know, just going to horse shows and telling everyone about it. We gave a lot of suits away in the beginning. Um, we took on some sponsored riders, which really helped. And then some riders approached us. So that where we saw a lot of growth through our, our social media and like our sales and, um, we sponsor a lot of things. So like we did it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, it was really important to us to grow organically as well. Like we wanted to make sure people heard it from word of mouth instead of like, you know, I don't know, a big buy of some marketing, I guess. But, um, which we've seen and a lot of our sales are, you know, direct to consumer or, you know, we get it from Instagram and we have a handful of really great retailers that, um, approached us or we approached that first year. Like we were just cold calling a lot of tax shops and, you know, met people at trade shows and they picked us up. So that's how we really grew. And, um, but yeah, it, the, the funding was hard. You know, we were, I was very lucky. I was very lucky that, you know, we, I had great in-laws to, to help us. That's how I get it. <laughs> how did you get them to buy into your vision? 
your in-laws um, well we so they like we came up with a business plan you know but i think they just thought we had a really good idea and they believed in us and they have a really good relationship with my husband so <laughs> they're like yes for you so yeah and ariana how did you get your friend to buy into your vision well, she was a rider as well. So she kind of like understood where I was coming from. Mm-hmm. And I think that she just, you know, I was successful in my own right already, you know, as, you know, a stylist and a designer in the city. So I think she knew like I had the experience in the background to be able to pull something mm-hmm. like that off. And just people that know me, I'm just kind of like a go-getter. And I think Connie was saying like this before that she always had an entrepreneurial spirit and worked from a very young age. And I was the same way. It was always, you know, I always like wanted to, push myself to do bigger and better things in every aspect of my life. So I think that she kind of knew that about me and just took a chance. I mean, that really is what it is. So it's a chance. And sometimes investments work out and sometimes they don't, it's a gamble, but you know, I think because of her investment as well as my own entrepreneurial spirit or my own inner drive, I think I didn't want to let her down. So I yeah. pushed harder and harder and harder, you know, cause of that. Yeah. So whose brother was very good friends with Barry Schwartz and Calvin Klein in college. Mm -hmm. And she had told me a story about that's kind of how Calvin Klein had gotten started was Mm -hmm. that he, his friend Barry invested in him and Mm -hmm. that's how he grew his brand. So I think that sometimes it's great to, to have your friends and maybe they push you a little harder too. And Barry, I think still is his partner. (laughs) Sold everything, but yeah, it's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes it's just the right people, you know, come into your life at, you know, the right time and they believe in you and they want to push and they want to take a gamble with you. And yeah, I was very lucky with, with Sue. She was, you know, very helpful for me. I mean, it's not like it was a huge amount of money, like $20,000, like now it's like, you know, that's why it's not a lot at all, but it helped me kind of just get samples and a little inventory and do the party and like push and, you know, it was yeah. gone in a, in a, out of an eye, but you know, right. it, was, <laughs> it was helpful to have that at least to start. So, and then mm-hmm. I you know, didn't, t- didn't really pay myself and kind of just yeah. use my own personal money to kind of, you know, reinvesting back in the business, all the money that we made to kind of continue to push forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, Connie, what would you say are different challenges that you had starting out versus what you have challenge that what challenges you now? I mean, we have a lot of challenges every day. There's like probably something else that we learn as we, we definitely learn as we go in the beginning. I think the manufacturing was really hard for us figuring out what fabrics to use and what not to use. We had an idea, but we wanted to make sure that, you know, everything we use was high quality and functional because we work really hard as riders and horsewomen. So we wanted to make sure that this was going to be a piece that could last for years rather than just one year. Like we're extremely hard on our coverall. We want to make sure it stands up to the test. So that was really hard, like figuring out what fabric wasn't too loud and wasn't too soft, had a good rip stop, was still waterproof. All of those things in the beginning were extremely hard. And just now I think adding... Like, what do we need next? Like our second generation suit, we didn't have a hood on the first one. So on the second one, we added a hood, um, but all the fabrics stayed the same and the insulation grade stayed the same because we didn't want to make it too hot to where you had to strip down in the winter or make it too light where you need another layer. 
So those things were very challenging in the beginning. Um, it took a lot of research and development in that first year. And we finally landed on something that we both loved and a lot of the riders loved. So we tested it out a lot. And when we throw it, I throw it to a different, a lot of different friends that taught all day long or rode horses all day long and just got feedback from them. And I think challenging challenges now are, you know, what's the next step? Where do we go? How, where, what horse you want to go to or not to go to? We want to really branch out. Like, you know, we're in a question clothing line, but we see a lot of skiers and hikers and um, a lot of women fishermen are wearing it. So like how to expand into that market. is something that we have no idea. Like, the reason like I think we do so well in this industry is because I know it and you know Allison knows it just as much now so we pick and choose what shows or what discipline is the best for us and uh I think expanding and branching out to like that those industries I don't we don't really know much about it so I think that's our challenge because challenges now and like how to keep growing and keep getting bigger every year Ariana, I feel like you had something similar where you, you know, wanted to be able to provide clothes to people who weren't equestrians that just mm-hmm. liked the style. How has it been for your business in dealing with challenges at the start to where you are now? Definitely. Like, I mean, challenges in the start. And I think that Connie can agree with this is that our industry does not like change. <laughs> like, yeah. Seven years ago, I mean, there was like no updates to like a question of clothing for like 30 years. It was like, you're like, wool coats. Why are we still wearing wool coats? Like an update here. It was a big thing for wool coats, which I had no idea. And velvet helmets, fox hunting, they love their wool coats. Yeah. 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 It was super antiquated. And it was like, oh my God, we got to change this. And for me, it was, I mean, people just like ripped my stuff apart. It was like, what is this? Oh my God, this is horrible. And it was like, I'm like, oh my God, this is like so bad. Like going on the Chronicle forums, those people are <laughs> Don't ever. <laughs> Do not go on there. I was like, oh my God, this is like terrible. And um, so I think like, the hardest thing in the beginning was like just to get people to try something new. And, you know, yeah. going back to what Connie was saying about the sponsored writers, I called two of like, riders like very well-known hunter riders that i did not know personally i had no one that knew them and i was just like i'm just going to try to find their information i'm going to give them a call and it was jennifer alfano and it was maggie jane and i called them and i told them my idea and i sent them a sample and they're like wow we love this so i'm so thankful to those two ladies because they really like helped me push onto the market that was like so stiff and rigid about like accepting anything new and like the first time i was at a trade show people were like you can't wear this in the hunter ring and i'm like oh no there's a picture of jen alfano riding in devon in the hunter ring and she's wearing it so you can too and they're like, oh, okay. so like, like a little bit of street credibility and i'm so thankful for that because i really helped I, th- I think that really helped for people to like accept something new um so I think that was like one of my biggest challenges was to just to get for people to try something new. And once people tried it, they're like, wow, this works and I can still wear it and it's approved and it's comfortable and this is great. And I think now I think it's definitely much more acceptable to like have something new in our industry. Like every day yeah. I see brands coming out and pushing the envelope and, you know, making things more and more avant-garde. And I think that that's great that, you know, they're, people are so willing to accept new things now. I think it's come a long way in our industry, our fashion industry in the equestrian world. Um, but, you know, for me, it's about staying relevant. You know, how can mm-hmm. I stay relevant 
being a brand that's been on the market for 11 years and there's so much new flooding the market all the time. Um, like five years, you see a lot more, a lot more brands. Sure. I mean, huge amount, huge amount of brands. I mean, it's insane to me. Like, I mean, it's great. It's awesome that we have so much to choose from now, but like, like when I was young, there was like, we ordered from one, one online store. Like we ordered from one place. Yeah. (laughs) That's opening. There's a new line that's coming out. So when, you know, you have to continue to stay relevant and it's like, you know, what works for me, your three, four and five is not working for me anymore because you know, and it's like, everybody has a booth at WEF now. I mean, there's like 650,000 vendors at WEF and it's like, you can't go there anymore. I mean, you can, but it's like you have to do way more in order to get people's eye because there's not, you know, just vendor row. I mean, they're sticking vendors every single place that you can possibly look. And when a customer is walking by and there's 60 riding shirts, they can choices that they can buy from, how are you going to get them to buy yours? Especially something that's not the new thing on the block. So I Mm -hmm. think kind of always reinventing myself, always figuring out different channels, always figuring out different customer bases and just creating newness within something that's existing. I think that that's my biggest challenge now. Yeah. I think that's a, um, a really good point to make for people with any kind of product or services kind of, how are you the relevancy for sure? You know, I think anybody who kind of floats on what they've always done is going to get left behind and it's not always new products, but you know, or maybe it's just an improvement or um, different advertising channel, different customer. And that's why I think like, you know, I started selling, like I created my whole like lifestyle type thing because I actually had gotten injured. I broke my leg. I got kicked by somebody's horse and I broke my leg. And I was like, (sighs) how am I going to run production? Like I can't move. Like I was not allowed to walk for, eight weeks and then another six months until I walked normally. So I was like, what am I going to do? And it was coming up with September. I was like, the holidays are coming up. I can't run production. Like, what am I going to do? So I was like, you know what? I'll buy other people's accessories and I'll have it on my, on my website and I'll sell that way. And you know, I can make money that way. It literally showed up to my door. I crutched over to my door. I moved my, my guest room with my new warehouse. Cause I closed my warehouse. Cause I'm like, I can't get there. You know, my husband was gone all day you know, at work, I was home alone. It was like me and the cat. So I'm like, what am I going to (laughs) do? So, um, I kind of figured out that, you know, avenue, like I can, you know, have things show up at my door and I can curate different things and, and you sell like a normal boutique does, but it kind of goes along with my line and what inventory I have left. And I'm just going to do it that way. And that developed into the store I have now because that concept was so successful, but I probably would have never did that if I didn't get injured. I would have never thought about that. Mm -hmm. So, and actually I kind of like it because it's like, I don't have to figure out how to make everything. (laughs) It just shows up. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) How much easier. So I just think, and I think also the pandemic really, if they, it's shown business owners what to do and what not to do. It's not always do the same thing and not sell only through one revenue channel, because I think the vendors that were only going to the horse shows and not showing or not selling any other way, when the horse show shut down, they're like, what are we going to do? And then they had to build a website. They had to build a social media and it was like starting from scratch. And it was like, by the time I got everything running, it was, it was too late. You know, they were already almost forgotten about because it was months later. So I think that that's really important to, you know, always have different revenue streams and, and always sell in a variety of ways and always constantly be 
evolving and, 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 uh, working in different avenues for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, it sounds like in order to be an entrepreneur, you kind of have to have some flexibility to your personality, right? Yeah. Super important to be able to do that. And you just have to like, like I said, as soon as you think everything's going great and you have it all figured out, a bomb drops the next day. So it's like, you can never say, this is it. I've made it like I'm successful because it's just gonna, you know, you're either going to get copied or you're gonna, you know, there's a bomb that's going to drop. You're going to get injured. You're not going to be able to work, whatever. And you know, there's going to be a global pandemic. Who saw that coming that that would ever happen in our lifetime where basically the world shuts down and, and you have to figure out how to kind of keep, keep on keeping on. Yeah. And Connie, what do you think, what other qualities do you think an entrepreneur should have? Definitely, you know, expect to work hard. Like it is not an easy ride. Um, it's just, you know, again, like every every day it's something different. It's not. It's not as. I mean, I love doing it. I think it's a great. I everyone should like. If you have a dream, absolutely go and do it. Like, don't sit there and wait for something to change. Like, if you have an idea. My husband's calling. If you have an idea, go for it. Like if it's something that you think about every single day and sleep and dream about every night, then you need to do that. Like that's what you should be doing. Why waste three years dreaming about it when you can be working three years working on it? If anyone has an idea, like go for it, do it. But you know, set it, get it. That kind of motivation, like keep dreaming about it, and eventually it's going to come to you. But it is hard. It's very, very hard. Like knowing where to go, knowing your market, knowing your clientele. You're always learning something new. And, you know, that's what I think. I mean, I just, I thought of something one day and now here I am an owner of a clothing line. So I just Mm -hmm. believe that if you are always dreaming about it, then you should absolutely go and do it. And I think to any of like us horse girls out there, it's not just become, if you're in love with horses since you were young, it's not just being a big rider. It's not being a big horse trainer. It's not going to the Olympics. Like there are so many different ways to be involved in the horse industry nowadays. Like I always thought I was going to be a trainer and rider my whole life or a vet, right? Or, and girls that I taught the same thing, they dream about going to the Olympics, which if that's your dream, I hope that you get there. But I also Mm -hmm. think that within our industry, like that's the only things that you think are available. And it's not, I see so many clothing brands. Now I see people with doing podcasts. I see magazine Mm -hmm. owners. Like there's so many different avenues to go down in this industry that I had no idea even existed when I was young. And Mm -hmm. I think that young riders and young girls should, you know, there's other options out there. And you think about owning a clothing line for the equestrian market, go and do it. You know, <laughs> oh, I agree. When I was younger, I didn't know all the options. I thought you were a trainer. I thought you were, you know, I thought I had to go to school for business to be involved in. I wanted a good job to support my riding. I didn't want to be a trainer. My parents train racehorses and I always felt like it was week to week. And I always hustled and had 8 million different jobs. And even now I find myself, I work for an equine pharmaceutical company called Decra. And so I sell awesome. Had no idea. (laughs) Right. And I didn't, I didn't know that would be available to me. And I kind of fell into it people just have to be creative and, you know, open your eyes and kind of look around and, and yeah. see what other options there are for and sure. Mm-hmm. About it too. Like I think this podcast here is like, I, I listen to your podcast all the time. I think there's so many different things, you know, mm-hmm. out there. And I think it's great that these are now available for young writers to hear about, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Connor, I was the same way, like going into college, I was going to get a business degree so that I could run a better business being a rider and trainer. <laughs> and I like right. took German as my minor so that I could go to Germany and buy horses and like <laughs> speak the language. <laughs> and halfway through college, I'm like, no, this is not, <laughs> not I'm not doing this. Like, and then I was going to be a lawyer after I graduated so that I could support your you know family. afford to buy horses and ride and then i realized that i absolutely hate arguing and um conflict <laughs> and, and all of that and i was like i'll be a terrible lawyer <laughs> <laughs> and, and then like you know did the whole grooming thing and um but then was able to use my marketing degree in in a pr and marketing mm-hmm. part of the equestrian world which I never saw myself doing so. Like you said, it's I but I do think with the growth of the industry, it has opened up so many more avenues for people who love the sport and still want to be involved in it. Um for sure. And with that become, you know, there's so many more ways to be an entrepreneur as well and and there's many little nuances in the industry that people don't think of that it's like yeah. you know, be involved in the equestrian industry like that's, you know, what they live and breathe and but, you know, they want to, like you said, be in PR or be, you know, a lawyer or be, you know, have a business in some aspect. It doesn't just need to be running a horse business or running a buying and selling business or a riding business or being a professional. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's it's nice. And I, I always think, like, when you're the happiest, you do the best job. And I think, you know, that is really what success means to me is that you wake up every day and you're happy doing your work. And of course there's days where you're just like, Oh my God, I just want to kill someone, you know, <laughs> or oh my God, I just forget everything. Like I'm going to go work for someone, forget it. Like it's just done. And there's definitely days more so than, than not that I think that way. But you know, ultimately like I, I love doing what I do and, and it's really rewarding for me. And, and I think that's so important for people to find something like that in their lives that, you know, work that's rewarding for them. Yeah, and it, it right. keeps involved in something that we love doing. Like we love being around the horses. Yeah. Sure. So yeah. That's our every day. You know, like that's our every day. We're thinking and breathing and riding horses. Ariana, what would you say in terms of being an entrepreneur and running your own business? What are your favorite and your least favorite tasks? Definitely the creative aspect of, you know, my business is my favorite thing. That's kind of, you know, just my mind's a creative mind. So, you know everything from merchandising to designing products to buying products like that for me. I mean, I get so excited. Like when I get like, you know, my new collection comes in or, you know, just a box of clothing that I ordered that I'm like, I'm just a fashion person. I just love fashion. So like, I get really excited about those things and definitely helping customers. Like that was one of the things, like when I opened my brick and mortar boutique, I was like, you know what, you know, I've been in business for about nine years now. I've been doing a lot of the same things. Like what do I really love doing about, in this business. And it's, you know, setting up the stores at the horse shows and selling to customers. Like that's like one of my favorite things to do. So that was what I was like, let me just do that full time. So that's Mm -hmm. what I had the store for. Hardest thing is definitely putting out fires and there's a lot of them. And it's like, just like I said, I think I said that a few times already in this podcast, like just when you think things are going smoothly, a bomb drops and it's usually always with production. (laughs) It's still hard. Connie, I'm sure you agree with this. It's still hard. There's still a problem always all the time, but you know, you just have to stay calm. And I, I say it all the time. Now I say, I try not to get stressed about things I can't control. So I try to just calm myself and just say, okay, 
Let's just take a breath. Let's figure this out. And that's like kind of my motto these days, you know, like my factory in the city was 10 weeks backed up because of the global supply chain. So they were like, listen, we're not taking any new work now. So I'm not allowed to deliver for my main delivery. Like I do every year. Right. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to have to wait until they're ready and they're ready now. And we're going to deliver in July instead of May. And guess what? It is. is. (laughs) So those are things that like, I've just learned over the years that it's, you know, you just have to, it it sucks, but you have to just kind of roll with it a little bit. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely like the worst part of being an entrepreneur is that you have to make all the decisions. You have to take the hit all the time. You have to Mm -hmm. figure out the go around all the time for everything it always relies on you. So that's kind of the worst part, I think. But Mm -hmm. at the end, I think it makes the better days even better. Mm -hmm. And Connie, how about you? Um, Is there a part of it that you love more than others? And what's your least favorite task? So my least favorite task is figuring out new colors and what to do next year. <laughs> that is like, when I have to go through the Pantone book, I'm like, Oh my God, there's a million colors here. Like what's going to be a good color. Cause we can only pick from, we can only introduce so many colors every year. I'm like we don't, yeah. we can't do every single color in this Pantone book. So it's like, <laughs> okay. What are riders wearing? So it was blue, like Navy and black. That's a big one in the beginning. Most riders tend to go to that color. So then every year we're like, okay, let's launch something different. So Mm -hmm. doing that and picking the color for the next year, like we always have three colors, baby black and a new color. And then we introduce a new color. So there's always four different colors um, of our coveralls every year. So when we have to think about that, when Alice and I sit down and we whip out the Pantone book, I'm like, oh my God, this is awful. I'm so stressed out about it. What are people going to like? Is this too light? Are you going to see dirt? Is this too dark? You know, we heard that the first year, like, oh, no one will ever wear that, you know, because we get horse horse hair or dirt and spit on us. So that's one of my most stressful things. But the best part about it is when you see people wearing your product. Like, I think that is the most amazing thing that it is out there and people actually use it. Like that is my favorite part of it. And going to a horse show or even like this year, especially this year, this past winter, I've stepped into barns and I've seen people wearing it. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like for real. Like people actually wear our stuff. (laughs) So this year was our, probably our biggest year where I've gone to multiple barns and people know the brand and are actually using it and wearing it. And then when we go to trade shows, one of my favorite things is like Allison and I still go to trade shows. We're not a brand that sends an employee there. Like we are working these trade shows and we're working the horseshoes. So when we're talking to people and, you know, doing our spiel about what Red and Goat is, they're like, oh, you guys work for them? And we're like, no, we own it. And they're like, oh my God. They're like, yeah, you girls rock. Go for it. I can't believe you're the owners. And we're like, yeah. And then they love that it's like a women-owned business and it came from like this idea. And like, they love it. So that's my that's my favorite part is talking to customers, <laughs> introducing ourselves and like hearing your reaction and how they like it or sometimes how they hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, stress. So picking colors, most stressful, talking to customers, and learning about them and, you know, seeing the product like that is my favorite thing. <laughs> so Connie, what would you say success looks like for you? And, and how long did it take you to feel successful? Uh, I still don't feel successful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're getting there. You know, I still treat this as like my idea in my head or my vision is, you know, 
to be everyone knows us like we're well known like if you need a coverall or outerwear you go to red and go for it you know we're so we're so involved and i think we'll always be so involved it's just like our baby so like i think that i don't see us topping out like i just see us continuing to grow you know like mm-hmm. i don't think that'll ever it'll ever be enough but i think that's just more my personality like i always want more so <laughs> just see us real see us being really big humongous like number one outerwear pop company but are we there yet i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so you'd say in the future the success looks like you're the number one outerwear equestrian yeah, yeah? okay <laughs> that's what i would like to see. <laughs> okay cool all right and that's ariana goal. what does yeah ariana what does uh success look like for you and how long did does it take to you for you to feel successful I agree with what Connie said is that I do not yet think I'm, I mean, it's hard to say, like, I, I don't know. I'm like, I just think this, like be having your own business, like keeps you humble because as soon as you think that you made it, you don't, <laughs> it's, like, the next day, it's like, Oh my God. Like it, it's just tough. And I think that I consider myself successful in the sense that I'm happy. I'm happy. And I, and I was successful in that I created something from scratch and it's done fairly well, but I don't really like to say it's a super big success because tomorrow could be all gone. And so it really relies on me continuing to push and just pushing my goals further and further. I've always been kind of a self-motivator. I've always, you know, competed against myself in so many aspects of my life. And I always just want to do better and, and raise the bar for me. And I, and I think that that's really important in terms of owning your own business. And you can't really look at what other people are doing and compare yourself to them because everyone's situation is so different. And, um, I think as long as you just keep pushing and, and, and keep going no matter what, and, and you're continuing to be happy in your space, I think that that is definite success, but it, it's, you have to keep managing it because it can go away very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, um, at the end of every episode, we ask the guests the same three questions. Uh, and Connor usually starts with the first. All right. So Ariana, what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Definitely remain independent and always have your own revenue stream. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. And Connie, how about for you? What is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? I don't know if I can talk that long, but um, <laughs> I think anyone, not just women, like you need to work hard. Like life is not easy. Don't depend on anyone else. Do it yourself. And I don't think it's just for women. I think it's for everyone. Like do not expect things given to you and don't, and don't accept things. I wouldn't even accept things given to you. Like I work hard for everything that I got. I don't, I mean, I don't think there's an easy way. I definitely think work hard, keep your dreams big and keep going for them. And, um, Ariana, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Staying organized. It's super important to stay organized in both your business and, and your personal life. Just keep everything, you know, super tight. And I think that mm-hmm. it really helps you kind of stay focused. And Connie, how about for you? What's the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? You know, having structure and doing that, having a schedule. I have a three-year-old daughter who's turning four and I am a hot mess all the time. <laughs> I like block out certain, certain, certain hours for work. 
I take some hours for myself, you know, to answer those emails and I'm trying to do that in, in the time frame. So that's what at this, at this moment has been keeping me motivated personally. Yeah. The calendar is a necessity. A and a lot of alarms. I said a lot of alarms. Oh my God. So many alarms and so many reminders. Like yeah. if I don't put it as a reminder, it'll it. just float yeah. away. Yeah. Never happen. <laughs> I had a reminder pop up this morning that I wanted to check the girth size on my pony. I want to order a new girth. <laughs> I have a weekly reminder. And again and again and again. Oh, I didn't do it again. No, it has to stay recurring. Like watering the plants. I have a reminder to water the plants because otherwise it'll be a month and they die. Shoot. I did it again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Hey, Connie, what's your favorite horse movie? Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ariana, how about what's your favorite horse movie? Mine's Sylvester. A lot of people. Oh, I love that movie. My favorite. Movie. I love that. Or heard it. Oh. I love that story. It is oh, my yeah. favorite. All time oh, favorite. Yeah. So funny. It, is that in Australia? In... No, it's out no. of Sylvester, Texas. It's in Texas. Oh, okay. It's yeah. in Kentucky. Yeah. Have you guys a... watched Think uh, Ride Like a Girl? No. no. Oh, it's a new one and it's good. Oh, it's really good. oh, oh gotta yeah. check it out. I mean, yeah, yeah. Movie in a long time, but it was up in the four in the morning with my daughter. Discussion and I'm like, today with them. You know, they're in this similar business in great. apparel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> in apparel. Girl, and there were lots of. I have to check it out. You know, yeah. Put yeah. yeah. it on my reminder list. Yeah. Another reminder. Pretty different. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you guys. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great conversation. I hope people get a lot out out of it from hearing your stories and the motivation that comes from it. I hope it inspires to work. Everybody, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is so fun, Connie. So nice to meet you and see you again. Good luck. You too. Like Ariana having all that responsibility, and you are the one making all the decisions, and everything comes down to you. Like that's a tough thing to handle. And not everybody can do it, I don't think, yeah. uh, or do it successfully. Right. right. <laughs> Whatever success looks like for you. But uh, yeah, it's really hard to be the person who has to make all the decisions and it all comes down to you whether it works or not. Um, yeah. Putting out the fires, and, right? Especially yeah. like somebody like you who doesn't love conflict and I don't like conflict either. I think mm-hmm. that's probably a really hard part of a bit of the businesses when you actually have to put your foot down and put out a fire and you have to be the bad guy. Totally. And I think sometimes it's a misconception that, you know, once you have success, it's, it's not a difficult process, but I think once you have success, it's maybe even harder because you have to maintain it. And yeah, entrepreneurship is basically about being there for your business 24 seven. And that's also hard for a lot of people to understand is that, you know, like Connie said, it's, it's a lot of really hard work and you have to be able to put in the time um, all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in the equine industry who, who can make that transition because if you're, owning a farm, running a farm, Mm -hmm. managing a farm, you understand that you 
have to put in the time, right? Horses depend on you. So you, you have to do that. But somebody like me, I understand that. And I decided that I kind of like having the break. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I like working for a company where I have a manager, and you know, if there's a problem, I can go to him and he can solve the problem for me. Um, yeah. Because because I spent so much time in the horse industry and committing my life to it that I'm totally. like, yeah, I I actually like to shut down. Like I've I've learned that about myself. Yeah, and, that's great. You know, and you know what? I did think it was really interesting how they both kind of felt like they weren't successful yet. Yeah. Right? And Ariana's been in business for t- 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's had like, like huge success. So yeah. it's, <laughs> it's really interesting to hear that. Yeah. And like um, to know what people's kind of perspective of themselves is, you know, mm-hmm. like and when we're looking from the outside, I'm like, oh, wow, LaFash and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Redding Oat and, you know, how I'm like, oh, yeah, those are like, look at them. <laughs> Yeah. And then to themselves, they're like, I'm not there yet. Yeah, that was really interesting. I bet there's a lot of people out there that feel like that, though. Oh, for sure. Well, and that's like, you know, everybody talks about imposter syndrome and, and the way you look from the outside to others isn't how you feel on the inside. So, yeah. But I do think, I think both of them can definitely appreciate the success that they've had so far. But, right they don't feel like they can rest on that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I yeah. thought it was an excellent episode. Yeah. It was great to talk to them. And um, and I think people will be able to pull some really useful information from there. Definitely. Find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go build your business.